Happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to episode three of Humans of ID podcast. As today, the 8th of March, marks the International Women's Day, where we celebrate women's achievements and to highlight the work still to be done and what we can do to create a more gender equal world. For today's episode, we're very happy to have fellow ID students, Shanice Morris and Marta Perik, to talk about their thoughts on gender issues in both our daily life and in conflict situations. So before we dive into the topic, can I have Shanice and Marta to tell us a bit yourself, what program are you in and what motivates you to study your program? I can start, yeah. Um, my name is Shanice Morris. I'm doing international development and humanitarian emergencies. Um, and I guess on motivation, I did my undergrad at LSE, so that kind of motivated me to kind of, I guess, stay for my master's. I had a really great experience in my three-year undergrad, so I wanted to stay. And I guess the program really appealed to me kind of with the really, really interesting courses available, like there's some specifically gender ones, which I think we'll probably get into, but as well as the consultancy project, um, those are kind of the two big reasons why I chose to do my program. Hi, everyone. So I'm Marta, and I'm doing anthropology and development management. I chose it because it has a nice combination between these two fields, and I was mostly interested in, in gender equality as well. But I thought that combining like more in-depth approaches with more like big approaches such as development would be nice. Would you want to share your thoughts or any experience with any gender issues in your daily life? Well, for me, when I talk about gender equality, it's as like you're putting like your purple glasses on and then you see like everything differently. So as you just see that women are under men, like in every place of, let's say, work or yeah, daily life, everything. So for me, it's like realizing that we have like a structure of patriarchy, which means that men um, have more opportunities and more visibility than women. And that applies to everything because it's a structure. So it means that um, it's sustained by all the institutions, our beliefs, media, um, everything, families. It's like realizing that it's a structure that um, um, oppresses women um, under men. Yeah, I guess like for me, um, when I think about gender inequality, I think I kind of approach a lot of my views on gender and feminism from like the perspective of intersectionality. So I guess like in my daily life, it's very difficult for me to separate the facts that I'm black from the fact that I'm a woman. And both of those kind of promote both of both both of those inequalities kind of are layered on top of each other. So like we can get into, I guess, specific things, but I guess like if I am facing any form of discrimination, it's kind of like maybe a bit of questioning myself, like, oh, what is this for both? Is this for one of these identities? Like how do these kind of mix together? And I think kind of, um, I have quite a friend group is quite diverse from different backgrounds, also different sexual orientations, which has another like layer in terms of on top of that and inequality. And I think thinking of gender from this perspective is largely how I kind of approach it, I guess I would say in my daily life. Yeah, like thinking from a culture perspective as an Asian and like in Chinese culture, for example, in um, many like ancient history or like readings, we always talk about how the wives should obey their husband and how we as children should listen to what the father does. And I mean, our grandparents, they always favor the boys, the male in our family. And this is just a normal thing to us. So when I think of like gender in terms of my culture, I immediately think of patriarchy, but as culture that embedded in our family. I don't know if you've seen like this iceberg of in, in, yeah, gender equality or inequality. 
which is like you just see like femicide which is when a man kills a woman just because she's a woman but like there's all these aggressions that we suffer every day like the way that we are not uh, in positions of power or like they don't listen to us enough or we're portrayed just as uh, housewives or like we're sexualized so I would say this is like the experience that I have I haven't worked with gender equality in my workplace specifically like I haven't done um projects on gender equality in my workplace but that's what I experience every day right yeah and I think um something I was speaking about in a class that I had today is about like structural violence and how like institutions and systems kind of embed and make these like conditions that are acceptable for like gender inequality to reach its like highest like most extreme form in terms of like that direct physical violence or femicide so I think like when I think about what you were saying, you're, it's exactly right, is that these like things that are under the iceberg that you don't necessarily see are like create these conditions that allow for these really violent things to occur and like violence against women. So yeah, I definitely resonate with what you just said. Exactly. You explained it like very well, <laughs> like much better. It's because I just did it in a seminar this no, morning. No, no, totally. so it's all in my yeah, head. Yeah, totally, totally. Oh, Shanice, are you taking any gender related course? Yeah, so I'm taking um, sexual and reproductive health, which was the class mm -hmm. we did today. I was presenting on violence and sexual and reproductive health. So it is all, it's very fresh, um, <laughs> a lot of prep for that presentation. And I'm also taking um, gender, um, I was gender, labor markets, and social change in the global south um, with Professor Nyla Kabir, which is also another gender related class, which is very, very interesting. Um, so Shanice, do you want to share a little bit about um, the second class that you were talking about? Um, gender and society in global south and how they are differed from the glo global north maybe yeah so that class is super interesting a lot of it is focusing on like um, women's participation in labor markets I'm um, specifically looking at the global south which um, I've never a lot of my experience academically in gender is focused on violence specifically in conflict and I wanted to kind of broaden my gender scope in my master's degree so that's why I'm doing sexual and reproductive health and then also this course but yeah it's really interesting in terms of kind of goes into I think what you just pointed out in terms of when you were talking about your own culture and how certain cultures can be quite deeply patriarchal, like the statistic we talk about a lot is that everywhere female labor participation has been growing except in like South Asian and the MENA region. And I think that's a super interesting statistic because I think it does kind of point to what you're saying is like how norms around women's like um, seclusion in the public sphere and these kind of like deep set kind of um, patriarchal norms impact things like labor force participation um, but yeah, it's, it's a super interesting course so far in terms of like looking at those kind of different dynamics in different areas of the global south as well. I think it's really good at not homogenizing the global south. I think sometimes mm -hmm. we get that a bit in terms of like, oh, it's all just like this. But like, actually, there's a lot of differences when we look at like Latin America versus South Asia and like how female labor force participation really differs there and the things that women are doing really differs there. And I think that's what makes it really useful for me as a course. No, I'm also uh, having a course with Naila Kavir. I love her. She, yeah, no, she's, she's globalization, great. Yeah, globalization, gender and development. Um, no, I'm taking a course on philosophy of gender, which is very interesting, but it's kind of um, apart from what Shanice was saying. But it's more like, like reflecting on what it, what is a woman, like this kind of like definition of what is it to be a woman? Is it like, mm -hmm. uh, should we find the word for like what women are or should we just mm -hmm. uh, abolish all this? categories of of men women and such cool so um we have covered gender issues in more like a lower level in our daily lives but as international development students we also learned a lot about complex emergencies and gender violence is very common in complex situations so 
do you want to share about any thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I mean, in terms of gender-based violence and conflict, um, I guess for some context, I wrote my undergraduate dissertation on the women, peace, and security agenda, um, which was initially designed um, by the UN to focus on improving women's participation in peace processes to kind of um, bridge that kind of gap in terms of women weren't really involved in um, peace and security efforts, but then pivoted really um, from 2008 onwards to focus on combating sexual violence. And that's largely what my dissertation was about. I think it's definitely important to talk about and raise awareness of because um, obviously it's a terrible thing to be happening specifically in situations of conflict and the after impacts and the stigma that it creates are also really harmful in terms of women's health outcomes, their kind of future livelihood strategies and things like that. And um, I think the conflict context is also very specifically interesting because a lot of the like academic resource research around why this happens is really varied in terms of why why is kind of sexual violence used in war um and a lot of it has to do with kind of like presentations of femininity is like women representing the nation and kind of women representing like purity of the nation and i think that's super interesting when you read about it because it's kind of like how deeply embedded our fixed gender identities and masculinities and femininities are that they Kind of come to a head in war or like you're kind of seeing the the brutalist manifestation of what these kind of subliminal message on like this is what a woman is and this is what a man is come out in war and i think that points honestly both ways of gender-based violence for both men and women which i guess we could get into but i think it's just a very interesting kind of case study um and something i'm quite passionate about i think it's quite evident <laughs> um well i was gonna say just that um i worked at the iom uh before coming to the lsc and we i, I was working in costa rica and we were also like analyzing uh the situation of migrants in the in central america and it was like very shocking for me how of course like when you're a woman you have like this double burden um that happens everywhere and like these migrants like crossing the panama channel how, of course, they were suffering all this um, sexual abuse and everything. But, and for me, it was interesting, like how, first, how invisibilized invisibilize this is. And second, like how there's no data, like we were not really like getting data about that. So that was frustrating or like yeah, kind of related to what Chani said, yeah. Yeah, I remember um, when I was in Hong Kong, um, I didn't really get in touch with uh, a lot of like gender-based violence topics. I think because there isn't many cases in Hong Kong, but when I was um, interning at Amnesty International, we also research about gender-based violence in different developing countries. And it's just shocking to me how systematic rape is such, and like many gender, like violence are so common in conflict situation that, that don't get a lot of attention from the international community when it comes to conflict situations. Now to me, I was gonna say that to me, this that you were saying, like rape or like femicides, so all these things are like, because um, they are also sustained by all this structure that we have like laughing at mm -hmm. sexist jokes, just, you know, just consuming things that men do, mm -hmm. voting for men, all these kind of things. So they just sustain all this structure that then, yeah, we have these big issues like rape or, or, or femicides, but there's like a very deep thing uh, below this that sustains all these big things that we are like, wow, but but there's a lot of going on as well under. And that's why I think they're hard to address, right? Because like, mm -hmm. it's hard 
so hard to kind of undo layers upon layers from the dawn of time being like this is masculinity and this is femininity and like I think that's why like these prevention efforts are so hard and why like even when there is money put into this and there is advocacy it's just so so hard to change things because we're talking about like undoing thousands of years of these Mm -hmm. ideals rather than something that's like a quick fix and like Mm -hmm. I do think there is some like positive directions on certain things but again like it might be a really long time before we start seeing like real real sustained change because it, it does just involve kind of breaking down kind of generational ideas mm-hmm. of these kind of things and then we'll end up seeing some real change. Yeah and um, Marta as you said you have worked in the IOM before. Um, I'm also curious um, what do you think about how effective or ineffective is the international law or international organizations in regulating gender balance in conflict? And I said I didn't work specifically with gender. I mean it's there you know as there's one of their SDGs but uh, in terms of like effectiveness it's hard because there are so many things like that should work together like civil society mm-hmm. organizations everything um and also even like even inside the IOM like people have to have feminist ideas which sometimes they don't so like also believing in this so yeah i would say i mean we didn't work specifically with gender but i would mm-hmm. say that it's, it was not that efficient yeah no mm-hmm. i think i could yeah. speak to that as well i feel like specifically in the context of conflict it's quite hard because you're kind of dealing with a situation where we think about I think conflicts more generally I think we can even see it Mm -hmm. in what's going on now in Ukraine where people Mm -hmm. have a lot less respect for laws of conflict regardless where insurgents are willing to kind of target civilians and things like that the laws of war are less respected largely and then I think when you're talking about addressing then sexual based violence was obviously not at all condoned how do we address that when we kind of have fighters and wars now who just don't care about Mm -hmm. kind of protecting civilians you just don't want to respect these kind of like well enshrined like Geneva Conventions, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we then deal with it if we're dealing with phases of conflict now where like things have become acceptable for fighters to do? I think mm-hmm. that also makes it quite tricky because we guess we don't kind of live in that age of war, I guess, back in World War II era where it was mm-hmm. con- con- like condemned, like completely unacceptable to ever target civilians. Whereas like now in most wars that we see, you see mm-hmm. targeting hospitals and targeting schools and targeting mm-hmm. children. And I think that's creating a kind of context where addressing this makes it even more difficult. I can relate to that as I'm taking um, refugee and forced migration class too, and we always talk about, oh, how effective is um, the refugee law the Geneva Convention is doing to tackle the refugee problems that have long lasted in history. But then our conclusion is always, yeah, it's a complex problem, (laughs) it's a problem that known by so many people, but there is always this difficulty to really solve this issue when politics and like the emergencies are what people focusing on, but not really the human rights of individuals. Yeah, and I also feel like a lot of these laws, international laws, were based on the time where conflict was so different and forced migration was so different. When you talk about, I also do refugees and forced migration and talking about the um, 1951 convention was based on this idea of a refugee that was European, mm-hmm. largely male coming from Europe. And that's not mm-hmm. really what refugees look like anymore. And that's, are these, and we don't kind of update these enough, I think, to yeah. kind of reflect the realities of what we're dealing with anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's also an issue is like, how is, why isn't policy, international law, human rights law, refugee law, keeping up with the way things are changing? Mm-hmm. Why can't we like 
change that as mm-hmm. things change on the ground. Yeah, I mean, talk about the solu- like the potential solutions for all these issues. Um, talk about the flexibility of amendments of the law, and they're simply not flexible. It's simply not feasible to really amend um, the law that that were set 50 years ago. Regarding to gender violence about men, I've also um, researched that gender violence is not targeted at women only. So what do you think about that? Yeah, um, for this is pretty interesting for me. Um, I'm doing a sexual and reproductive health course and our um, summative assessment for this is doing a report on a population and I've chosen to do male survivors of conflict-related sexual violence because it's something I'm super interested in. And it was kind of part of the presentation I did today, but I think they're definitely invisibilized when we talk about mm-hmm. violence against men generally. I think we don't talk about it enough. I think mm-hmm. um, you, you really just kind of forget that. I think also uh, largely men and LGBTQ people are largely kind of like grouped together in terms of two groups that we don't really talk enough about when we're talking about violence. And I think for men, it's really important because I think that the, the same kind of like stigmas exist, but they're very tied in with these conceptions of masculinity, right? Like men are mm-hmm. supposed to appear as strong and kind of able to take care of themselves and powerful. And then when they do experience sexual abuse, I think it has an even extra layer of this like stigma that like, oh, I, I'm no longer meeting what it means in a lot of cultures to be a man anymore. And I think like mm-hmm. not discussing this is kind of, is highly, highly problematic because I think it makes it probably even more stigmatized because male mm-hmm. abuse, male, male survivors don't necessarily come out and talk about these things. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's increasing like research and things done about this and projects focused on this, like the All Survivors Project, which I've been looking into. But I think it's definitely something that needs to be discussed more because I think I think a lot of times we, we say gender and we talk about women, but gender mm-hmm. is women, men, gender non-conforming people, like kind of we all are kind of included in this big term. And I think it's important to make sure everyone is included in research and policy and practice. Yeah, I would say that when we talk about patriarchy, like it's of course like the oppression of women under men. Um, but of course, this oppression means that women have to fit like a certain role of like carers. Um, and then men have this other certain role of like being uh, brave and not being able to cry. And for me, it's interesting because that means that, of course, uh, feminism is good for everyone. Like it will just make everyone more free. Um I wouldn't say that uh, the aim of feminism would be to, you know, like be only about like men. Like I think that women are the ones that are oppressed um, and the ones that suffer the most in this system. But of course, the system also puts into a cage uh, men and other other identities. Yeah. So we have discussed many depressing issues about gender. But as the theme of this year's International Women's Day is to break the bias and earlier we cover situations that make it difficult for women to move ahead. But beside knowing the bias, it is more important to take action that tackles those difficulties. So what do you guys think that we can do to eliminate um, gender inequality or what efforts are to make to end gender violence? I feel like on a lot of these sides, I think generally like any kind of advocacy and awareness needs to involve everyone. I think so many times focus on these things, it's mainly like just like women leading them, which I think is fantastic. I think when you see women's movements fighting for legalization of abortion or things like that, I think it's absolutely amazing. But I think a lot of the times we leave men out of the conversation and like patriarchy involves men and women. And so we can't just mantle patriarchy. We only have women if we only engage women like we have to engage men especially in things like violence and things like tackling patriarchy and I also think that um honestly I think open conversations is really a way to kind of challenge people on certain ideas and like Mm -hmm. I do think sometimes specifically like some older generations 
like I'm from Bermuda and we like sometimes there are people who have quite conservative attitudes to things like gender but when you do kind of engage in the conversations and be like oh why do you think that like where is this coming from I think you can learn so much and dismantle so much when you kind of can sit down and have a conversation about something and I think maybe that's not always an advocacy but I do think that's really important yeah I mean as I was saying like putting your purple glasses on like realizing of how like you as a woman are oppressed like in every situation like everywhere um and for me like two things that work are first first where i put my money and second where i put my attention like money for example like i'm like i'm mostly buying things that are not made by white men so like if i have to go to the cinema or like i have to buy a book i try to that i buy from a person of color or woman and attention as well like and it can be like small things like who am i listening when we are in a group am i listening only to men am i laughing only to men or like am i also like giving women the space to speak like uh yeah the attention like my friends um the things that i find interesting like um am i finding them interesting only because a man said them like all these kind of like small things of that i where am i putting my attention in every day of my life um yeah, that also is, for me, it's uh, useful. I think that's also super interesting because I do think that, I think we forget a lot. I think there's a lot of talk within the last two years about like um, unconscious bias, but like we all are kind of raised under the system, right? So like, it's hard to like sit down and really think about like, why do I think like this? So like, sometimes like you'll see certain things and you're like, have a gut response. And it's like having to kind of take that step back and be like, oh, well, like, where did that come from? Like, why, why did I, what did I think that in the first place? And I really like that. I think that is an important step because a lot of us just kind of accept the way that we think is the way that we think and don't interrogate like, well, where did that come from? And like, why is that your belief? Yeah. yeah, actually that's a good word, like bias, like thinking about your bias because you're by default, uh, you're by default sexist then racist because that's the society we live in so like thinking about that yeah that's true yeah that's a word yeah that's really interesting too and when we talk about solutions about this big issues we always think about oh you know the international world should do something the international organization should do something yeah. the same as climate change but then we actually can do like as an individual we can do small things like day by day and then the situation will become better who knows right and in terms of open conversation i I've also thought about I have never like asked my grandparents like why do you like my brother more than me right and it's an important question to ask and this may be spark like a very interesting and important um discussion with them and to provoke them thinking like why do they think that right yeah, yeah. I had the conversation with my dad when I was younger because like we used to my brother and I always used to wash the dishes at home and um my dad if there was dishes in the sink he would always come to me first before he came to my brother and like when I got older I was just like why did you do that like every time even if it was my brother's day of the week you'd always come to my room first before he came to him and like I think at first he had to add some excuses and then we had a really good conversation about it, it was like no I guess maybe that that is that's how I was raised like that's how I thought it's just that, like um in my family when I grew up my the women in my family did the dishes and I just kind of naturally would go to you first rather than your brother and I do think when you have those conversations it helps with that self-awareness Marta was just talking about especially with older generations to think like oh well that's kind of how I grew up and then I think it helps with kind of us as we get older to realize oh there's ways that we can raise children and kind of be around younger people even if we're not raising children to kind of dismantle these things like I said and break down those kind of generalized general generational biases and barriers. And also like uh, doing that, for me, sometimes it has been very hard because I feel like lonely that I'm doing that. So something that also works is like this sorority, like being with mm -hmm. women, we are doing now. Because sometimes like 
you cannot blame like the international development only, but you can also only not do everything by yourself. So like having this middle ground where you're, it's not only you, but you and your friends or like you and your uh, a society, that is like super helpful. And you feel like you can do something, but it's not like as big as saying to the United Nations, you guys have to do something. So you have this agency, but you are like surrounded by other women. And especially because we women are like so educated to like hate each other mm -hmm. and like, you know, compete. So like finding allies within women for me, it has been also very healing. Yeah. And I think what you're saying there, when we talk about, I was going to say with like these international bodies, we want them to do something. I think it's important to remember all these international bodies are made up of individuals. They're not made up of kind of like robots, right? Like they're all, like you said, when you're working at the IOM, like, are they feminist individuals? Like it, it is, we, we have to kind of think of them as built by people and people who have views on certain things. And like, we, we need them to be doing individual work as well. They just can't be setting out SDGs and policies, but like, what do those policies mean? They're coming from someone's mind, right? Or like a discussion with multiple people. So I think that individual level is super important. Yeah, exactly. And when we talk, talk about um, advocacy to a more gender um, equal world, we talk about um, raising awareness. And this word, this term seems to be like talked a lot. And to that point that we, we don't, we really simply don't aware of the issue. And that's why raising awareness is so important in every you know political or cultural social issues perfect um thank you so much for participating again and as the slogan of the international women's day this year is gender equality today for a sustainable tomorrow it is very important to educate ourselves on gender issues and take actions to create a more gender equal world and again, thank you so much, Shanice and Marta, for joining us and sharing your thoughts with us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Happy International Women's Day, and we'll see you again next Tuesday. Bye.